I'm David Pluff. And I'm Steve Schmidt. And this is Battleground, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. So, Steve, it is going to be a fascinating week. Yesterday, we had the new Congress sworn in. Tuesday, we have the two Georgia runoffs. Wednesday, we're going to have an absolute circus in Congress as the process to formally ratify the Electoral College results happens. What's your view on how it both may unfold, I guess, but also how it sets the table for the next couple of years? Joe Biden is going to be the president on January 20th. And that's a good thing. That's the most important thing. What we're going to see this week on January 6th with the spectacle that's going to play out in a joint session of the United States Congress over the certification of the electors is going to be a national travesty. It's going to be watched all over the world, and it's going to be a moment of national humiliation. One that if you and I were having a conversation together 10 years ago, we would have likely have bet everything we had that there was zero chance, zero chance that an autocratic movement would take off in the United States. And so it's just a moment of humiliation. I mean, it used to be that around the world, people would look, despite all of its flaws, at the American system of government and aspire to it. It was far from perfect, but it was more perfect than all of its all of its alternatives and competitors out there what country in the world looks at the government of the united states for inspiration and admiration it looks like a banana republic yeah let's get to holly's motivation though he's doing this so that when he's in iowa and in south carolina in 2023 in republican debates right his first line's going to be i'm josh holly from missouri i'm the first senator that stood up and said we were going to challenge these bogus election results that stole the election from Donald Trump. That should tell you all you need to know about where the debate's going to be in Republican primaries, both in 24 in the presidential race, but in 22 in these primaries for Senate and House, right? Absolutely. And we've got the leader of that banana republic heading to Georgia on the eve of those two elections. You know, you and I have talked about this. I mean, I think natural state of things, you know, you have a Democratic candidate win the White House. Georgia still, despite Biden's win, probably in races like this, slightly in Republican. The wild card here is, do you think there'll be enough people that may decide to protest that it could cost the Republicans these seats? I don't know. I don't have a feel for the race in two ways, and that's one of them. But the other one is the amount of money. I can't get my head around how you spend $47 million in the state of Georgia in 45 days. The amount of money is so astounding. Its effectiveness is, uh, you know, we're going to see. I think it's going to be really close. But I think it's a harbinger of where our politics is going. I mean, the conduct of the Republicans in the race has been reprehensible. The race baiting, the democracy bashing, the intimidation of the Secretary of State. I mean, they've put on a clinic of crookedness and unfitness, and yet it's possible that they could still win. And they're literally, you know, among the two worst Republican senators in a in a really deplorable group of people. <laughs> yeah. Which is no, saying something. It really is. But, you know, if they pull it off, if Purdue and Leffler pull it off, that's gonna be, I think, only more fuel for potential Republican candidates out there to say, I can win the general election this way. This isn't just about winning the primary, right? 
there's a route to winning even tougher districts and states where I can go all in on the crazy train. It's pretty frightening. Well, listen, you and I could bat around this stuff all day, but let's get into our discussion with our great guest that we have rating for us, the comedian and special correspondent for The Daily Show, Jordan Klepper. I'm sure many of you have seen Jordan on his Comedy Central docuseries, Klepper, his talk show, The Opposition with Jordan Klepper, and his one-hour special, Jordan Klepper Solves Guns. It's a must-watch. But he's also been a correspondent for The Daily Show since 2014. He's become an unofficial expert, maybe even an official expert on Trumpism, because he's attended so many rallies. So he's really had a front row seat to what's driving this phenomenon. And Steve and I have a lot of questions for him. And he's also just one of the more compelling voices in political comedy today. Jordan, it's great to have you, man. You've been such a tonic for me and millions of Americans through the last four years and eager to go deep with you on what you've learned. I'd like to think of myself more of a as a gin and tonic, but I, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it. You are one of the few people like I've talked to who has been to one of these million MAGA rallies. What's the vibe? Is it festive? Is it one of menace? Is it quiet? For the most part, going to Trump rallies before the election, it's festive. It's a football game. It's Lollapalooza. It's a great time. It's the best time of the year for everyone who's there. This time it felt different. People are still festive. They got the hats. They got the flags. But there was definitely an aggression there, which we immediately were dealt with. When you throw a camera on somebody at a Trump rally, you're kind of public enemy number one. But people still want to engage and still want to talk. And I will say before the election, there was still a maybe a playfulness there or a, a cocky edge that you'd run up against at the rallies. The one in D.C. after the election, that was gone. And we were consistently hounded, yelled at, heckled as soon as it was clear that we were there to cover what was happening. We were the bad guys and they had a grievance, which there's always grievances at a Trump rally, but usually it's a celebration as what's to come. And this felt more like, oh, we're heading more towards this being a, a militia meeting ground than it is a Big Ten football parking lot. In terms of what you've learned about where this movement goes, where do you think these people go? I mean, are they going to stick with politics? Are they going to sour on somebody who doesn't have Trump special sauce for them? What's your view about where that movement goes? Well, I mean, it's so easy to get in the, the political sphere and overanalyze the issues and the topics and see this massive outpouring of support is based on politics. And politics feels like it's acting upon this as opposed to it being at the center of what it actually is. It's identity for the people that I talk to. And I empathize. I think it's an oft-used comparison that what you're watching is like a sporting event or a tailgate party. But I say that as somebody who's a diehard Michigan fan and who went to those as a kid and who has seen losing seasons and will defend them when they lose or when something awful happens off the field. And it's in your bone because that's who you are. That gives you a sense of place. It gives you a sense of purpose. It gives you a sense of community. And so I think that doesn't change. I go there and I will interact with folks and talk about the economy, talk about policy, talk about the Mueller report. And these almost are tools that we use that talk around what's really happening. What's really happening is that these are people who hear what they want to hear, that they're heroes of their own stories, that somebody's fighting for them. And now being a Trump supporter is your identity. We live in a culture right now where you can't not have an opinion about Donald Trump. I often think about like being 10 I didn't care about politics. I didn't have to have an opinion on Michael Dukakis. I fear for that 10-year-old right now. You know who Donald Trump is. He's a pop culture figure, so you have an opinion about him. You can't not have an opinion about him. And he is such an identity for so many people in America. 
And so as we look to potentially move beyond the Trump presidency, a lot is going to be dependent on what he decides to do. You know, I have my thoughts and I think he loves attention. And I think for many reasons, he will be around. And I think because of that, people will follow the fun, you know, and it's a comedy term, but follow the fun. Donald Trump's the most fun. He's your identity. He's the most engaging. He's the most interesting. And he speaks to your grievance and you don't have to listen to anybody else who's telling you why you're wrong. Because a lot of these people that you talk to at these rallies are sick of people telling them why they're wrong. They're sick of people telling them that other people are more successful than they are. They're sick of hearing people tell them to take a back seat. They have a grievance and this guy finally gives them that permission to air that grievance. And I think that will continue. I could see it manifest. I mean, I, I, I see horror stories in our future. I don't know how we're all going to agree on one common truth to move forward into like a productive democracy. I see an entire party that seems to, to kowtow to that far right conspiratorial side. And I think the Republican Party is going to be held hostage to Donald Trump and his thoughts for the next four years. And I think you have a giant mass of people who will not find identity in a Marco Rubio, but they'll find identity in the grievance of Donald Trump. And that will dictate a large portion of this country. And I hate to say it, as somebody goes out and talks to people, I see myself at state capitals talking to militias. I see myself at rallies with sit-ins and guns. And I think that's what I imagine our future looking like. A lot of it dictated by uh, what the guy who's in office right now decides to do. Well, Jordan, dictated by the guy in office now, who, whether he runs or not in 24, I agree is going to be the dominant figure in the Republican Party, but also by movements like QAnon. We're going to take a quick break. Stick around to hear more from Jordan Klepper. Welcome back to Battleground. You went to a rally, I believe it was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in September, a Trump rally, and talked to somebody there who had become a recent convert to QAnon. So let's play some audio from that and then jump into that discussion, because I I don't think QAnon is going to be a fleeting factor in our politics. If anything, Steve and I have said they're probably going to have dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people who come from that movement running for office in 22. Uh, about two months before COVID started, I somebody put me on to QAnon. Great. And I believe some of it, and I don't believe some of it, but I believe only so much can be a conspiracy. I think a lot of it's true. You know about QAnon. Is there anything you can tell us that I don't know? JFK Jr. is still alive. What? This guy is always behind Trump at the rallies. So you're saying JFK Jr. is still alive and spending his time in the background at Trump rally? From QAnon. From QAnon, yes. Do you think racism exists in America? I do not believe that people hate each other as much as... You don't think racism is a problem in America? I do not think it's a problem now. There's a potential that JFK Jr. is alive and here at a Trump rally. Maybe. (laughs) It's so funny hearing that again. What stands out to me, I hear that lady having, almost laughing as she talks about QAnon. I think her phrase was, somebody put me onto QAnon. I remember her smiling. Uh, She had fun. It's an internet conspiracy. It's a fun wormhole to go down. And then she shifts over into legitimizing it. Why it's not silly. It's smart for her to be curious in that way. And I think it's an important evolution of thought. I did a series on guns and I spent some time with a militia, big bad Georgia militia, folks who believed in QAnon, three percenters, fringe political beliefs. But when I spent an extended period of time with them, they're mostly dudes who just want to camp. It's Boy Scouts for guys who couldn't get in the military. And I remember this guy, Cowboy, big dude who was a little too heavy to get into the military. He wrestled in high school and he's lonely. He lives in the middle of Georgia. He doesn't get to see people. And once a month, he goes to these 
militia movements. And he teaches tactical training. And what he actually teaches is he teaches the other folks who come and camp for the weekend how to wrestle because that's what he knows. It's what's fun. But it's embarrassing for that adult to tell me, why are you out here? I like to wrestle. I want to hang out with guys. I understand that. Those are human emotions and feelings. What he says is he's tactically preparing if ISIS comes to Georgia because he's smart enough to know it's silly to just be honest about what he likes. It's silly to say, it's fun to follow this internet conspiracy. So you legitimize it with some BS that somebody feeds you on a news source that says, well, you're a patriot now because you're doing this. You're preparing for ISIS. You're a curious mind who's looking to protect our government. And now you have a political ideology that started from you just being bored and looking for connection. Steve, I bet you have some thoughts. I'm with you 100%. I think your analysis is brilliant. Um, do you view it as an authoritarian movement? I mean, I think that's what it's becoming. I, uh, <laughs> especially if you're from a more progressive point of view, you're nervous about labeling these things. It's so easy for us to go towards fascism or saying that's fascist or let's connect this American movement to something that's outside of it to scare everybody from it. But I think that also has pulled a lot of folks away from calling it as they see it. And I think what we're seeing right now is a Democratic Party, an authoritarian party, the way in which we're responding to the election. And so, yeah, I, I think we've seen a slide towards authoritarianism with a leader who is... Let me, um, let, me, let me back up on the question because sure. there is a reluctance, right, mm -hmm. to label it a fascistic enterprise, to use the F word. <laughs> when you watch the Proud Boys and the violence in D.C., what did you see? Uh, I mean, I see scared white men who are afraid that they don't get the things that they sort of took for granted and assumed they would get when they were little children. Um, for the most part, I see losers who are in their basement and throw a hissy fit and don't really have much of an effect on culture in general. I think when I see them at a MAGA rally, I see that being elevated. One, the president's talking points, but two, the people around them now supporting those points of views. And for the most part, I mean, after you know what we saw these past four years in Charlottesville, like, yeah, I see racists who have better outfits than their great-grandfathers possibly did. <laughs> You know, you would use the word when describing the Proud Boys and kind of what you saw in D.C. as losers in the basement. And I think that's right. And I'll make a point about that in a minute. When you go to that militia meeting, are they losers? Is it a gathering of losers in the woods, essentially? You know what? I think a more empathetic reading of it is it's people in need of community, desperately, and who are putting on uniforms to act like big, tough adults. But yeah, you, you want to know how that day ended. It's everybody training for what happens if they need to rise up and protect the state of Georgia or fight back against the federal government. And so everybody has weapons. They bring a ton of weapons into the woods. And the day ends with everybody shooting at a pig's head that they stuff with tannerite, which is an explosive. So it's going to end with this huge explosion. And they set up, there's probably 20 to 30 folks with a, a giant gun, small guns, Honestly, and that's a whole dynamic unto itself. The guy with like the cheap gun and the guy who's got three AR-15s. But they all line up and we're a, we got, we're a media crew. So they're, they're really puffed up and excited to shoot this pig's head with Tannerite. We set it all up. The pig's head is probably uh, 50 yards away. And they say fire. They let loose hundreds of shots, 30 seconds of just fire in the woods. And it doesn't fucking explode. <laughs> they don't hit it. <laughs> they have to do it again <laughs> to try to get their big exploding pig head moment. 
<laughs> and, oh. and somebody who's coming at it from a comedic perspective, it is hilarious. <laughs> but that's yes, these are these are these are not Navy SEALs out in the woods who are there to protect you. These are guys who couldn't get into the police force or get into the military, and they're out in the woods dicking around. And I see that. And when I see the Proud Boys, yeah, they have rituals to toughen you up. Those rituals are to name cereals while they beat you up. It's the kind of shit I saw back in high school when I saw people who wanted to play JV tennis. Like These are the rituals of people who haven't matured and are looking for community in a desperate way. But they don't have the emotional capability to articulate that. So they take on a radical ideology to make them look cool. But here's the thing, Jordan. So they're dicking around in the woods, right? They're... Mm -hmm doing serial initiation ceremonies, and we can laugh at it. And I don't want to overstate their numbers, but if you put them together with QAnon and the people that believe the election were you know, stolen, it becomes, I think, the most powerful force in terms of Republican primaries, which will matter in terms of the 22 elections. And it's certainly going to matter in 24, particularly if Donald Trump doesn't run. They're all going to be basically appealing to the folks dicking around in the woods in the QAnon person you talked about who thinks JFK Jr. is behind Trump and rally. So speak to that a little bit. And I know there's an argument that we shouldn't lift up these voices too much. You know, it gives them too much prominence. But I think it's hard to argue the facts that that is where not just so much of the energy is, but it's becoming real numbers too. So as much as they may be losers in the basement, they're going to be driving Republican Party politics, certainly primaries for the next couple election cycles. Oh, for sure. I mean, that was a, a conversation we had when I was doing my show, The Opposition, which was looking at these far right fringe characters. It's like, we don't want to give too much air to numbers that might be too small. Like, we can't be a larger platform than the folks that were satirizing. But I don't think that was the case in the Alex Jones world and what have you. And then as we go out to these Trump rallies, no, it, the, the numbers get larger and larger. Um, the Million MAGA March, it was tens of thousands of people who are showing up. And they're not afraid to wave those more fringe extreme flags. I mean, where I get nervous and where I get scared and where I get most angry, I, I remember leaving the Million Maga March and I walked by a lady with a Kyle Rittenhouse as a hero shirt. And it just made me so angry. I don't know how that has gotten normalized. And then I started seeing them around. Where I was like, oh, this is, this is a murderer. This is somebody who killed somebody with an automatic weapon that he stole, drove over state lines. He killed two people were protesting. And now we're at another protest and other people are wearing not only the shirt, but they're getting high fives. And so it doesn't feel fringe when you're out there. And I wish there was an adult in the room who could speak to that to draw a line as to like where the morals of this party are. And we're not going to kowtow to that. And I think this country perhaps has too often assumed there would be that adult in the room, that there will be that John McCain moment of taking the mic away and saying, you know, he is my opponent. Uh, he's not a Muslim. Respect him. Like, we assumed that was written into our constitution, but instead it was just in our imaginations because we thought we'd have a, a figure who could draw that line. And I think if you aren't drawing that line, then you're drawing a line around those folks who are now in the party or at least in the conversation. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Right now, the MGM odds board, sadly, has the autocratic team heavy favorites, at least in the near term. Battleground will be right back after a short break. Welcome back. We're going to continue our awesome conversation with comedian Jordan Klepper. I was watching a show with my son. He said, hey, is there a great movie we could kind of watch? And we've been watching some gangster movies, and we watched The Untouchables. This is the 1920s, right? This is 100 years ago. When I was born in 1970, 100 years ago, it was 1870. People were on horses. 
is five years after the Civil War. It looked nothing like today. But in the 1920s, they were wearing familiar suits. They had ovens, electricity, phones, cars, you know, 100 years ago for my son. And so I bring this up because we're outside, for most people in the country, the living memory of the 1930s and the 1920s. But I have a point of view about what it is that I see, like when I see the Proud Boys in in Washington, D.C. I have a conviction about it. I think that's Trump's essay. That's exactly what it is. And when you look at authoritarian movements and you look at how they grow, how they spread, at the core of them is always the menace of violence. And it's always a coalition of society's losers and then a very cynical elite, say a Josh Hawley, a Ted Cruz, who try to make common cause and accommodation with this. And I think that's the moment we're in now. And it's a moment unlike anything we've ever seen. So if you look at the Republican Party, you now have an authoritarian faction, which is the majority, and you have a conservative faction, which by no means did it cover itself in any type of glory, right? And it was utterly collaborationist, but at least after the election, did not cross into the seditious waters that Trump and Pence and the rest of them have crossed into. And so I think that over time, you're going to see the conservative side shrink and the authoritarian side grow. And I think that will be the trajectory and that will be the trend line, which means American democracy is one presidential election away from ending now for every presidential election that we have. Happy New Year. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think think you are right. Honestly, we thought that we looked at our neighbors and by sharing this land and what have you, that we would never see ourselves go over into this, call it what you will, this dark side, this authoritarian ideal that we believe in these democratic values. But I'm like, I think if this teaches us anything, it's like every generation, you have to reevaluate what it is you care about and you need to fight for and not get complacent about the things that you think are just inherent to your culture and understand that they are active and they're constantly under threat. And I do think we have seen that. And I do think it is, it's a scary time. I, 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 I look to find optimism in, in elements of that to see that we can, we can get close to the brink, uh, but that there are better angels that will prevail. But I, I don't know. Well, I'm, you know, I'm of the dark view too, but one potential thread of optimism here would be Trump won't be on top of the hill forever. That would be one potential source of optimism is that Trump is uniquely suited to lead this band of autocrats and conspiracy theorists. And when the audition period really ramps up, none of these other people are going to be anything other than a pretender. I'd love kind of your view on that. I mean, is this transferable from Trump to another individual? Is it transferable from Trump to an entire party? So a whole collection of candidates could tap into it. Kind of what's your view of that? When I talk to people out at rallies, it's hard to get people thinking beyond Donald Trump or what happens if he's no longer the head of the party. Once they do get beyond that, I am surprised. The name Trump still goes far. People out there They like Don Jr. I think he drank the Kool-Aid fastest. He chugged it and and got the biggest buzz off of it compared to any of the other um, siblings. 
But I think that is simply people unable to let go of the idea of Donald Trump. And that's the closest you can get. I don't think Don Jr. quite gets you there. But I get, um, I, I get scared when I hear names like Tucker Carlson and people who have that kind of power. Like people like Donald Trump, not because he's a savvy businessman. They like Donald Trump because Trump has meant success in people's minds for 30 years. And so he's just an idea. And he had the most airtime for the longest amount of time not super complicated. I can see somebody like Tucker Carlson's had a lot of airtime is in a lot of people's ears and I think will be. And so I looked at that. I totally think he's the Republican front runner for 24. He's going to be inside the heads of folks for the next four years in the way that nobody else will be. And I think Tucker Carlson makes a lot of people in this country feel right and smart. And I think that goes a long way and, and potentially could in four years. I will say that Eric and Don Jr. have always thrown off an Uday and Kuse vibe to me. <laughs> like right from the beginning. <laughs> I never bought the good kid bit. <laughs> they're, they're, they're a fascinating pair. It, it is funny. I, like, really, when I talk to folks on the trail, like, they are supporters of that Trump family and love that Trump family and love Ivanka. I think Ivanka might be too smart to jump in. Um, <laughs> you can say it's like even people who are all in it's a little tough to say. I love Don Jr. just as much. It's like, that's, come on, that's a stretch. Nobody got in it because of Don Jr.'s charisma. You're not going to wait in line for eight hours at a Don Jr. rally. Did you pick up in your either pre-election or post-election, was there a lot of animus and anger towards Biden? Because clearly what we're going to see going forward is an attempt to paint Biden in the most nefarious way. Hard guy to do that to, you know, major reason he's going to be our next president. But do you think that's going to be a focus? I mean, are they going to still focus on Hillary, Obama? Like, kind of where does this go? Yeah, he was a hard guy for them to get their claws around. You saw folks struggling with that early on. Hillary was so easy. It was in people's bones how much they disliked Hillary Clinton and how evil the Clintons were. I never got that much with Biden. Hunter, when he popped up, was a, an easy go-to. It was a little too little too late, but like that was a easy way for them to, to throw dirt. And Kamala seemed to be... Uh, a dodge. I mean, it was pretty desperate and saw kind of where that was coming from. And it was hard to hide the racist undertones there. Uh, I think they will have a hard time finding the bad guy. I don't think they articulated it well enough this election season. They're going to try with Biden. I think they have more fun with AOC. They have more fun than any kind of socialist uh, narrative that you can throw on it. So, you know, the the left is going to be the bad guys. It's not going to come from afar, but it's going to be Biden tangential. Here's what I think on this. I think that There is no group that these people hate more than the Republican establishment. That's the bad guy. It's Mitch McConnell, and it's all these people who won't follow out into, like, Sedition Bay, (laughs) right? And before they can strike the socialists, they will have to purge the disloyal members. And the purge is always part of an autocratic movement particularly like after a loss or a setback or defeat, right? So like this is going to turn inward for a while. It's going to be a brutal primary season. There's going to be chaos between all these nut groups in the Republican side, but they're going to turn on Mitch McConnell. They're going to turn on the Republican establishment, and it's going to be a nut fest in all these primaries because they're not going to coexist in stasis. (laughs) I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be chum in the water for four years, to say the least. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm curious, Jordan, you know, the people that you've met out at all these rallies, do they stick with politics? I mean, I think they stick with the show. You know, it's called politics, but I don't think they're interested in the political part. There's a pomp and circumstance that comes along with election, but then Donald Trump made the whole thing a show. And that is what's fun. So I I don't know. Where the show goes, I think, is the large question. If the show gets boring and the show doesn't speak to those on the fringe, then the show is going to be on cable networks. The show is going to be on fringe networks, on Twitter, on QAnon message boards. And that's going to be the most exciting thing and something will build up from that. But I don't think you're going to see a grassroots political movement that has any legitimacy and actual like political discourse other than what is the most fun, what is the most playful thing that we can get behind. And playful is the wrong term. But that to me is what what is exciting to the folks there. This is their identity. They go to the Trump rally. They wait in line for him because it's an extension of themselves. And it's he wins, they win. That's what the support is. And so I think you have to capture that to keep those folks interested. Entertainment has always been part of American politics, okay? But this is so deeply concerning for the state of our republic, because I agree with you, Jordan. It's all entertainment. I realized that too late, that that was so much of what drove Trump's success. And he actually was winking the whole time too. Don't take me too seriously. It's just a show. And I think these guys in suits who've been in Washington a long time, who are pretenders, are going to struggle. Who do you see out there that you think maybe isn't in the like Washington Post list of most likely Republican candidates in 24 that you think could capture some of this magic out there that Trump did? It's going to be hard to capture. It is going to be a race to crazy where you let go of any, any we got to do a little. We got to do a little draft board here. Right? I'll, <laughs> I'll go pin one up. Christy Nome, right? Christy Nome. I'm putting her high on the draft board. Like she did a terrible job handling COVID. Good qualification, you know, to be heir to the MAGA empire. She gave Trump a replica of Mount Rushmore with <laughs> Trump's head carved into it. She definitely gave him the best gift you could give to like a narcissist. As deranged as Trump, right? It's an incredible. I think you got to you got to keep go, keep going. I'm thinking Randy Quaid, <laughs> who's communing with aliens. James Woods for James sure. Woods. I know. I think like Kid John Rock. Voight. I mean, you know, there's you know Voight. Yeah. Honestly, I think you will. Who knows? Michigan boy. I, yeah. Every time I know. Every time you try to outflake it, it's there's a surprise there. I wouldn't rule out though. Just straight celebrity sycophant who talks the talk and see how far that goes. If Trump had said, I'm going to put John Voight on the Supreme Court, those <laughs> fucking guys would have all voted for him. Yeah, 100%. We'd have John, you know what? And I'm, <laughs> I'd be curious. It's an interesting choice. Like, like <laughs> yeah, like James Woods will be the Secretary of Defense. They'd all, they'd confirm him. Yeah. They'd do whatever Trump tells them to do. They'd come up with, we've seen it. What, what, what? Like, like Lindsey Graham's going to like draw the line there? I don't, I don't think so. But I think, Jordan, you're honest on the notion that somehow, okay, the Trump era is over. So now we're going to go back to a bunch of guys in blue blazers with red ties from Brooks Brothers. I think we're going to see multiple people with unconventional backgrounds become serious contenders. Maybe they'll carve each other up and a more traditional person can kind of shoot up the middle. But I think that's what, what's in for it. And that's just so scary. It also feels like we get so bored with personalities that rarely do you have such a unique personality like Donald Trump that is just constantly so big and brash that you're paying attention for four years. I do think there's a better chance of three years from now, Elon Musk goes hard right and says, screw it, I'm going to run. I've got some wilder ideas and look at how successful I am. 
And then people flock to that freshness. I think there's going to be something fresh to the person who runs, who is willing to speak to those people and has some sort of outsider mentality. Because that was even the thing talking back Trump-Hillary days, like outsider, outsider, outsider. It's all going to be about who's against the system. And I bet it's the name that emerges, not now, but the name that emerges three years from now. To get elected today, I mean, your first campaign ads right now is like, just have someone in a pickup, holding their AR-15, get out, shoot at a target and say socialism, <laughs> right? Antifa, Soros, and the person's floor is 40% of the vote. Yeah, I think, I think you're actually <laughs> onto something. I think in two years, it's just going to be nouns. There'll be no adjectives or verbs right. connecting ideas. We'll just be like, <laughs> people get it. They get it. Don't waste me with your elitist verbs. Just give me, give me the basics. <laughs> Jordan, thanks so much to you for joining Steve and I on this episode of Battleground. We look forward to what you're going to do in the future, and you know, you're going to continue to be a source for all of us to really understand what's happening across this great country of ours. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jordan. It was great to have you. We want to thank Jordan Klepper so much for joining us on Battleground. Battleground is a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Aaliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Jess Williams did research for this episode. Allie Rogers is our associate producer, and Christian Castro-Wassell is our executive producer. 